Because today, as we keep digging into the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and surrounding cities, what we're seeing, right, is that Paul is, is going to be challenging the church, right? And not just those churches, but us as well. And so as we step into this, I mean, listen, Mike, Steph, is kind of a big deal, right? So pay attention. And, and then afterwards... It's going to be really weird if you're like, no, never mind. <laughs> but I'm going to risk it. All right. Um, listen, we've talked about this before, but Paul does this in all of his letters. In every letter that he writes, all throughout the New Testament, uh, Paul makes this, this very clear dual purpose. Right? Um, he wants to share doctrine. The doctrine of the gospel. Right? In every letter that Paul writes, he makes clear the doctrine of the gospel because it's the gospel that actually does anything worthwhile. The gospel is what saves us. The gospel is what moves us from death to life. The gospel is what takes us from darkness to light. The gospel is what makes us a new creation. Right? Sealed with the Holy Spirit. The gospel is what builds us into this temple, this body of God. It's the gospel that does that work. But Paul not only shares the doctrine of the gospel, but in every letter he shares the duty of the gospel. He shares the duty of the gospel. He does that so that we can start to... You got, I did say duty. It's okay. That inside, we had our elder retreat, and so we, we kind of had some, some fun with some different things. And uh, whenever somebody said the word duty, like that's Christian duty, Blake would have kind of a, a chuckle. So we pictured him like when somebody says duty at church, fist bumping Megan, like, ha. Ah. Anyway, that's what Paul does, right? It's our, it's our, our, our gospel doctrine and our gospel duty, and he brings those together. Right? And this is the same with this, this book, uh, or this letter that he writes to the church in, in Ephesus. And in fact, he starts off, um, he starts off in, in the text today. We're going to look at chapters 4, verses 1 through 16. And he starts off by saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. We talked about that a couple weeks ago because he used that same phrase, that he was a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He says, so I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you've been called, right? So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have told you all about the doctrine of the gospel, right? The doctrine of the gospel that saves you. That's what the word therefore means. Like because of the doctrine of the gospel that saves you, because the Holy Spirit is now living in you, because the Holy Spirit is powerful in you and Christ is dwelling deeply in you. And because of that, you're experiencing the love of God that's high and deep and long and wide. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than you could imagine or think or ask because of that. Therefore, because of the doctrine of the gospel, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, I'm pleading with you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called to the Christian life. Right? It's one thing to understand the gospel that saves. It's another thing to walk in the gospel that transforms. 
And this is, this is the problem, right? Most of us, it's funny, he told you to move up here. You didn't have to stay, but I'm glad you did. Usually these are empty. Uh, most of us, right? We know this is true. We talk about it as a church all the time, that the gospel isn't just for salvation, it's for transformation. But we still don't act like that a lot in this culture, in our churches, in this area of the world. We, we kind of treat the gospel like it's good for salvation, and then we're good, right? Like, like we want to get saved, but we treat being saved like we just finished the race. And then the rest of our life is like the post-race party. I assume, I've never raced, but I assume there's a party when you're done, right? But we assume that's, it's like we got saved. Yes, we win. And then now we're just hanging out. And sooner or later we get to go to heaven and it's going to be awesome. But that's not the gospel that Paul's teaching. That's, that's not what he means when he says walk in a manner worthy. He's saying you got saved and your salvation actually put you in the race. You were wandering. You were lost. You were aimless. You got saved. You got moved from death to life. Now you're in the race. Now walk this, run this, win this race. Walk in a manner worthy. This is the duty of the Christian life, not just to know Jesus, but to live according to this truth of Jesus. And this is where we fall short. But here's the deal. We're not alone. The reason that Paul, in every letter, marries doctrine and what we're supposed to do with it, the reason he does that is because it's a struggle. And he knows it's a struggle. And he's encouraging us to overcome the struggle. And so he's going to talk to us about how that works. And, and frankly, here, here's the number one thing. If we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, if we're going to live out the gospel in a transformative way, the number one thing is that we have got to major in unity. And I've got to be honest with you. Unity is the number one theme if we were to rank all of the themes of the encouragement that the apostles and, and, and the epistle writers give through the New Testament, not, not, I mean, yes, they talk about salvation, but the encouragement to live in a certain way, the number one theme of that is unity, that we would walk in unity. The reason they keep telling us about this unity is because we suck at it. We're not good at living a unified life because we are selfish creatures by nature. We're independent right? And, and, and so this call to live this unified life is a call to live in a way that is countercultural. And it's going to take the grace of God, the Holy Spirit working in us. And so what Paul says is, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And right now he's saying that's about unity, right? And, and, and he says, so, so here's how you walk in unity, and he's going to share some graces with us. And, and the reason these are graces of God is because these are things you cannot do on your own. In your humanness, in your brokenness, in your sin nature, you cannot accomplish these things on your own. Right? They're graces of God. They only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And the first one is with all humility. Now, I have humility. I'm actually very good at humility, the best ever. Some of you are like, oh, okay, I didn't know Matt was so humble. Some of you get why that's funny, right? Because, 
as soon as you have humility, as soon as you know you have it, you don't have it, right? Because humility is this idea that I'm always a work in progress, right? Paul says in Romans 12 that, that we need to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, right? Humility isn't that we think bad about ourselves. It's not that we downplay our gifts. It's not that we downplay our talents. It's not that we downplay who we are, right? You're awesome, be awesome, that's fine. But humility is when I'm not even worried about me. I don't need you to know how awesome I am, right? I don't, I don't need to brag or boast about myself. I don't need to, to, to flex. I don't need to do any of that. It's just, I'm not even worried about me. I'm, I'm focused on others, putting others first. I'm thinking about myself a whole lot less. That's a grace of God because that's not something we can do on our own with all humility and with gentleness. You know how I said I was really good at humility? I'm also awesome at being gentle. That's false. Work on it. Right? But, but in my humanity, in my, in my human nature, I, I tend to be a little harsh. Short. Right? But, but Paul says, by, by the grace of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, you've got to fight that. You've got to be humble. And you've got to be gentle. Gentle. Tender-hearted. Right? The idea here is meek. Restrained strength. Humility and gentleness. And with patience. Long-suffering. Patience here has the idea of enduring something hard without lashing out. Without reacting. That's patience. I can't do that. You can't do that. That's not a human thing. But it's a grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be humble and we can be gentle and we can have long-suffering and patience with each other. And in that, we're bearing with one another in love. That idea of bear, bear with, that's a perseverance. That's a not quitting. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love bears all things. It holds up under all things. It doesn't quit because it's hard. It doesn't give up because it's hard. That's a grace of God because in humanness, what do we do when it gets hard? We quit. That's why I can't play the guitar. Right? I took guitar lessons once for like a week. It was hard. I quit. Right? Because that's what we do when things get hard. In our humanness, we quit. Right? But, plus I was already married because I thought, I'm going to learn how to play the guitar because chicks dig guitar. (laughs) And it was really hard, but I was already married. I was like, well, I got her. Like, so... I mean, it is what it is. So I quit. But we bear with one another in love. We don't quit. And why do we do all that? Because we're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're eager. We're after it like it's our job. It's not a willingness, right? He doesn't say we're willing to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says, you're eager to do it like it's your job. 
These are not things that we are humanly capable of doing. That's why Paul starts with therefore. Therefore, because of the doctrine of the gospel that has saved you and transformed you and the Holy Spirit that is now powerfully in you, this is what you do. You grow in these graces. Why do you grow in these graces? Because we are eager to protect and maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the reason this matters is because as a church, as a body, we are, a, we are under the banner of the God of the universe. That's who we represent. And it matters to God how we represent him. It matters to him. If as a body, we or any other body represents God poorly, that matters to God. Because what happens is people will look at that body that is broken and fighting and frustrated and, and, and falling apart. And they will look at that body and they will see a God that is broken and falling apart. God doesn't want that. God isn't going to tolerate that. God is our banner. We represent him in all things. And so he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace like it's your job. As much as it, here's what Paul says somewhere else, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Most of us operate in the opposite. We say, as much as it depends on that person, I will live at peace with them, right? If they are good with me, I will be good with them. But if they cross me, if they frustrate me, if they're an extra grace required person, I'm an extra grace required person. To deal with me, you need extra grace. I get it. I know it right? And we, t we tend to think, right, that, that if somebody, right, if somebody is good with me, then as much as it depends on how they act, I will try to live at peace with them. But that's not what God says. God says, as much as it depends on you, you decide like it's your job to live at peace. Why? Because it matters because we represent God. That's what he goes on to say here in four through six. He says, it matters because we represent God because we are all together in this. There is one body, that is the body of Christ that we belong to. There is one body. What did, we, what did we read earlier in Ephesians? That when we are saved, a spiritual thing happens where we are made new. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we are actually now a new brick in this temple of God. We are a new part of this temple. A new part of this body. And, and not just the universal body, right? There's a universal body when you are born again in Christ. Not just when you know about Jesus, but when you surrender your life to Jesus, you are now part of this universal body of Christ. And that is made up of all believers that have ever lived anywhere, anytime. But it's also a picture of this local body because you will never find in the New Testament a Christian that's not actively part of the body. And what Paul's talking about here when he says you're part of one body, he's talking to that church. He's saying, you church, you're one body. You're one unified body with Christ at the head. And so you got to be together, unity, maintaining it. That's how you walk worthy in humility, in patience, right? In gentleness, 
forbearing with one another in love. That's how you walk worthy because you're part of one body. And you're bound by one spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you is the Holy Spirit that lives in me. In that way, we belong to each other. One spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. We are all not just bound, right? We're not just bound in this body, right? Um, it's not just all this, this duty and suffering in this age, right? We're not just bound, right, by the spirit that has us belong to each other, but there's hope in it. There's hope for this age, and then there's an eternal hope to come. This life is hard, and we want to not just survive it and fight through it, but we want to thrive in it in the fullness of Christ. We're learning to do that. That's what the Christian walk is about, is learning to thrive in the fullness of Christ, right? But no matter how much we thrive, this is a broken world, and it's hard. And sometimes it's harder than other times, and sometimes it's hard that it just doesn't quit. It's hard, but you know what? Man, as we fight through it, as we learn how to walk in the fullness of God, we can thrive, right? We can do that because we're all called to one hope. We're all called together as Christians to one hope. Listen, you better get used to me now because you will have to spend eternity with me. It's a thing. I'm going to camp out at your house. We're going to do it. Right? And all of this is because we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. I said in, in the first service that it, it shocks me sometimes, and, and I've done this when I, when I was an elder at Bethany and now as a pastor here at, at Blessed Hope. Countless times I've tried to do mediation with people. Mediation between two people that are struggling. And it floors me. I still, I mean, it happens all the time, but I just don't understand necessarily how it happens, how you have two people who say, I am committed to obey the one Lord Jesus Christ, yet they refuse to walk in unity together. But we're united by one Lord in one faith. One faith, guys. It's the doctrine of the gospel, the, the, the faith that unites us. Now, we might express that faith differently. This is where I, I wasn't making fun of David in the first service. He misunderstood because I'm fighting to maintain the unity in, the, <laughs> in humility. No, uh, here, here's what happened, right? I just said, like, like, we express our one faith differently, but it's one faith. Lowell shouts, hallelujah. I have a thought bubble that says, wow, that's a really interesting point, right? That is true. Man, then did come the morning that sealed the promise when his very body began to breathe. How cool is that? That all happened in my head, right? I express it differently, right? We express it differently. Hallelujah, right? It's a thing, right? I don't care how you express your, I mean, yes, when David says shout hallelujah, let's do it, right? Let's, let's, I mean, he wants us to rush the stage. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm curious to find out. Do you tackle him when you get here? Five bucks to the person that pulls it off. He's not in the room right now, so I can say it. He won't know what's happening. 
But here's the thing, right? Like we express our faith differently, but we are united by one faith. That's why we prayed for First Baptist Church this morning. That's why we did that. That's, that's why we pray for all of the churches in town. And when October is over, we'll move on to another church and another ministry. And when, I, when that's over, we'll move on to another one in December. Why? Because, because we're all united. We might express it differently, but we're united in faith. And that's expressed through the one baptism. The baptism that's not the cause of our faith, but it's the symbol of our faith. That we are all, as Christians, in this faith with this one Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit sealing us, made new. We are all baptized, or at least we should be, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Shameless little plug for baptism here. If you haven't made a decision as a believer to be baptized, to submit to God's command of baptism and the model of the New Testament, then I would encourage you, right? Because Baptism, this one baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is a symbol that unites us and binds us. And it's all because of the one God and Father who is over everything, the creator of all things, who is over all of this and through all of this and in all of this. So here's, here's Paul's point. He says, look, because of what the gospel does in you, right, and the Holy Spirit's power in you, then the grace of God should cause you to start to grow and be changed in these ways. And it should cause you to be humble and patient and, and to forbear with one another and to fight for unity like it's your job because we're all in the same body together. And we're all united by the same spirit together. And it's all because of the one God and Father of all who is over everything and in everything and through everything, and he is our banner. And this is the call. This is the call of Christian life. Right? This is what it means. But then we start to wrestle with this thing. Okay, so, so what do we do? How do we get here, right? Because these are graces of God. They're not things we can just do. And, and we have to start here and say there's a difference because Paul's now, he's going to start talking to us about the the. The, the ways that he wants to help us grow up, the ways that God is working to grow us up. And it's not everybody doing the same thing. So we have to understand there's a difference between unity, right, and uniformity. Unity is when I make a conscious, personal decision to work hard so that we can be unified. Uniformity is when outside pressure causes us all to start to do the same things. It's not a choice, it's pressure. Now, listen, this is an easy example. Sometimes there are really easy examples in our world to the difference between things, and this is one of those times. And so I want to clarify, you want to get a vaccine, get a vaccine. You don't want to get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. I don't care whether you get a vaccine or not. That's on you. I'm not here to tell you vaccines are good, bad, or otherwise. You do you right? I'll do me. It's fine. This is, we have freedom in this. But what's happening, right? We see this as an easy example in our world that there is a, there is an overall pressure to cause people to conform to this decision, to this way of being. That's outside pressure pushing conformity into a body of people. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what the Holy Spirit's saying. The Holy Spirit isn't saying conform to pressure to all start to look the same way. The Holy Spirit is saying, look, here, here's the deal. I want to um, 
cause you to be unified, for you to make the choice not to conform and start to look the same, but for you to decide and make the choice to be unified with one another. That's the decision he wants us to make. And he gives us each different roles to play in that. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, this is going to get weird, and it's kind of an afterthought. You'll notice part of it's in a parenthetical um, statement, right? He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended, that, that's, that's Christ, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. It's talking about Jesus and his ascension, and that he led a host of captives, saved sinners, right? That's, that's his thing, and, and he will give gifts to men right? And, and, and the gift is, is salvation and the Holy Spirit, right? And then Paul clarifies in saying he ascended, well, what does it mean except that he also descended, right? He also came to earth, right? To the lower um, regions, the earth, right? He also did that. And when he descended, he is the one who descended, who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, right? So, so there's a lot of words to say this. Christ descended to earth, bringing with him the gift of salvation. He ascends, leaving the gift according to the measure of his gift, leaving the Holy Spirit to seal us and empower us for this work. And the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and offices. And he lists five of those here. He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gives these five offices, these gifts. When we think apostles, typically we think of the 12 apostles and Paul. The 12 disciples in scripture, the apostles of the early church. We think Paul, James, John, right? And that's fine. But this word apostles here, really all it means is those people that are sent with a purpose. It carries the the idea of these people are trailblazers, visionaries, starters. It says, and he also gave the prophets. We typically think of a prophet as someone who tells the future. That's not what the word means. The word simply means this is someone who speaks on behalf of God. Now, in in the early church, prophets um, played a major role in the gathered church. They played a major role in the gathered church because, right, we, uh, we didn't have the word of God in front of us. So prophets would speak as if from God, and they would share, and, and we would learn. But now we have the benefit right, of the word of God in front of us. So prophets play a much less prominent role in our gathered corporate worship setting, right, because we have the word of God in front of us. And, and we always make this primary in our teaching because it is. But prophets, those are still around, people that speak for God, right? Now, if they ever give you a prophecy that's not in the word of God, then we dismiss it because they're not a prophet of God. But prophets will still speak on behalf of God. And evangelists, right? These are the people that will share the good news. In the, in the New Testament uh, times, they, they traveled around from city to city sharing the good news in such a way that it caused people to make a decision to repent and follow Jesus. 
Evangelists today are able to share the good news and, and, and defend the faith and, and to teach things in such a way that stir in people's hearts and cause them to make a decision. Shepherds, same word we have for pastors and elders. Shepherds are the people that are in the muck. Right, you get that, like they, they smell like sheep because they're with the sheep. These are people that are called to lead a local body, pastors and elders, right? To lead and help grow and help move them in discipleship. And teachers, teachers who who are called to take the grand truths of the word of God and to share them and teach them in bite-sized discernible pieces so that we can understand Right? This is what God does. God right, um, gives us, he says, look, I've saved you. The doctrine of the gospel, I've saved you. I've moved you from death to life. I've built you into this temple, this body with Christ at the head. So in the grace of the Holy Spirit, grow in these things that will help you create unity. And in that unity, I've given you these different offices, these different gifts. Right? Why? Well, it says it next. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. These offices exist so that we can build up the body for the work of the ministry. Listen, the elders and and pastors and staff that we have here at the church do not exist simply to do the work of the ministry. If all we did was exist to do the work of the ministry, you hired us, you appointed us so that we would do the work while you just come and participate in a Sunday morning and call it good. If that was what it was, then this would be country club. I assume. I've never belonged to a country club. So somebody that has can tell me later if that's how it works. But I said you pay your dues and you just, you get all the benefits and that's it, right? Nobody makes you clean up afterwards, right? Nobody makes you wait tables. You don't have to go get your own stuff. They get it for you. I assume that would be nice. But that's not what we do. We as a body hire pastors. We appoint elders. Why do we do that? So that their job is not to do the work for us. Their job is to equip us to go do the work. That's what it says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We should be evaluated on whether or not People in the body that call this place home are growing in their faith and being equipped in their faith to do the work of the ministry. If we are leading and nobody is growing to do the work of the ministry, then we would say, you know what? We're not really equipping people very well. That's how we should be judged. And so when it comes to these five gifts, these um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Um, some people would tell you it's, it's, it's called fivefold ministry, that every believer fits under one of those offices. Um, it's not necessarily where I land. There's nothing wrong with thinking of that way. I'm not sure that every believer fits under one of those offices, but I'm quite confident because of the way that Paul has written this, that all of those offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, pastors, elders, and teachers, that all of those offices will exist in the local church, right? So we've got a scenario where where we let apostles lead with vision, right? They lead with vision, and the prophets call people to stop believing in themselves, 
to stop believing in the culture, but to instead start believing in the God of the universe. An evangelist that that helped lead those people into not just head knowledge, but to full surrender in their heart to Jesus Christ. And, And pastors that begin to lead and disciple them into those new relationships. And teachers that help teach those truths and inform those lives. I'm not sure that every believer fits into one of those categories, but I'm positive that every one of those offices exists in every local church that is healthy. Because that's what God's called us to do, right? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we don't stop building up the body of Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we do, building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? Until this body of Christ that we are is fully mature and fully equipped to be doing the work of the ministry, we will work to keep equipping. And we will never be fully mature on this earth. We'll never be done as a body, right? Partly because we're jacked up and we got a lot of work to do, but also because if we're doing our job right as equipped people, we are out there sharing the gospel and bringing new people in. And guess what? They have to be equipped and matured and grown. And then they're bringing new people in. And all the while, the body is growing in this way, right? That's the challenge, right? As believers in the body, we are equipped to do the work of the ministry. You ought to be ministering to one another. And you ought to be ministered to. That's the way it works. And when that happens, Paul's going to share with us in this last little bit, he's going to share with us three things that will be true. When that's happening, here are three things that will be true. So that we will no longer be children. When you are immature in your faith, when you are not fully equipped in your faith, you are like a child. I didn't say it, Paul did, right? And he, he said it in 1 Corinthians, remember, go back then, that, that he says, I wish I could feed you solid food, but I still got to give you milk, right? Because you're like babies, you're like children. He says, so that we'll no longer be like children. We need to be equipped to do the work of ministry so that we'll no longer be like children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul says, I need us to be equipped so we can start to minister to each other. And when we're doing that, when we're growing in maturity, guess what? Nobody will trick us with foolish sounding doctrine. Nobody will be able to lead us astray. If I come up here some Sunday and you're growing and you're maturing and I come up here and I say something that's contradictory to the will of God, the doctrine of God, what the Bible clearly teaches, it won't fool you. You'll know. In maturity, because you've been equipped, you'll know that's false. That's wrong. You won't be swayed by whatever you happen to watch on YouTube, right? Or by crafty sounding arguments against the core doctrines of the faith. Not only that, but here's the deal. You will speak the truth in love. You'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Listen, this is an area where I struggle. Remember earlier when I said I wasn't very gentle, this is where it comes out. Speaking the truth in love. I am really awesome at speaking the truth. Because speaking the truth is really easy. It's also really destructive when you do it without love. 
And over the course of my adult life, um, I have caused a lot of damage by speaking the truth with no love. I've apologized for a lot of things because I speak the truth and no love. I've caused people a lot of junk that they have to carry around. Because I can't speak the truth in love sometimes. It's dangerous. It's destructive. But you know what's also destructive? Love without truth. If truth without love is it's devastating sometimes, love without truth is hypocrisy. Churches tend to live in one of those areas. Either we are brutal in our truth, but we lack love, or we are free with our love and lack truth and hypocritical. And, and the reality is when we are being equipped and maturing in our faith, we can speak truth in love to one another. And that is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of being equipped. And from there, the whole body will be joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself in love. And so here's the thing. This is when we do it well, self-sustaining. Because as we equip and people begin to grow and minister to one another, that ministry that you are doing to one another helps grow and equip more people, right? So that they are growing and being equipped to minister to other people. And this goes back and forth. And here's what happens when we are growing is we are cooperating together in the body. Everybody is involved. The whole body joined together by every joint that's been equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. When we all take this seriously, this is what a healthy church looks like. Fantastic worship band, that's not necessary. Exceptional preaching, thank goodness, that's not necessary. Right? Top-notch facilities, huge numbers, all of those are great things to have. But they're not necessary for a healthy church. What's necessary for a healthy church? That the body is being equipped. And that in that, they're being strengthened and ministering to each other. And that everything is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the call to a healthy church. Paul says, you've been saved by the gospel, but not just to sit and wait for heaven. You've been saved by the gospel to live this out, to do this life. And it happens in a local body and we're all connected by one Christ in the Holy Spirit. And the job that the leaders of the church have is to build you up so that you can do the work of the ministry. And if we want to have a healthy church, that's what it looks like. And frankly, that's what we spent as elders at our elder retreat. Many of you were praying for us. I appreciate that. That's what we spent our whole time on the retreat basically discussing was different things about what does it mean to be a healthy body where we're equipping the saints and we're all growing and shepherding each other and caring for one another and growing in these things because that's what matters. Because that's health. So just a simple blessing that I, got, I thought of during first service as you leave, hopefully an encouragement. Every time I always heard the words, live a life worthy of the calling, I always felt guilty. <laughs> like, it felt like it was like, oh, you know. But this morning when Pastor Matt said that, actually I thought this, and just an encouragement, hopefully as you leave. First, 
you here today have an amazing, powerful, and important calling that the God of the universe has placed on you. Okay, that's how special you are. You have a calling. Two, the God of the universe that has called you is also the God that makes it possible for you to fulfill it. It's not, I always looked at it as a, as a burden. God's like, it's not a burden. I have called you, and I have equipped you to do it. Now just go do it. So let that be your encouragement today as you leave. Lord, bless your church as you use this for your glory. In your name, amen.